You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. by the Saints for a touchdown! It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. Jimmy Graham brings it down, and that is a touchdown, New Orleans! We'll take you to places most fans never go. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room, following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown! Taysom Hill! Taysom TD! Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! Hey, y'all. What is up? Who dat? And welcome in. I am Jeff Nowak. This is Inside Black and Gold. I'm going to apologize in advance. I think I'm getting a cold or something. So if I sound more nasally than usual today or I cough directly into the microphone, I apologize in advance. I don't want to chew gum or whatever, so we're just going to have to deal with it. But, you know, there is some news we need to talk about today, so we'll get into that at the top. I also want to talk more about Clint Kubiak. We had an interview on Sports Talk with 49ers insider Evan Gettings. Give us some info, intel on what all Clint has done this year, the impressions of Clint from that side of the equation, and we'll get into a lot more on that. I also want to talk about, you know, there was an article written today about the Shanahan offense. I think it was from Ben Solak. Someone sent it to me and I read it and it's very good. You should check it out. It's on the ringer. And, you know, I, I do want to talk a little bit about, okay, what does that mean exactly? What is the Shanahan offense? What are we going to, what are we going to actually look for within the same scheme next year with the quote unquote Shanahan offense of it all? And then finally, we're going to close out with a mailbag in the final segment of this program. I'm going to try to keep it to around 45 minutes. So we'll, uh, I, I say that almost every time and it never happens. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. But for, you know, first things first, I do want to follow up. So last episode, we did a whole, you know, off season plan segment talking about all the restructures. You know, I, I did go through all of that and posted an article on WWL.com kind of going through, okay, what's the process here? Who do you restructure? Who do you do? Whatever. Um, and I was actually, you know, in I think in last week's episode or earlier this week's episode, I mentioned that I think Alvin Kamara gets restructured. Well, as I went through it, I was able to find a way to get to cap compliance, which is the first step. 
and you worry about it from there without restructuring Alvin Kamara and with only restructuring five players that are 35 or I'm sorry, that are 31 or older. Uh, and I thought it was interesting. And I think at the end of the day, that's what it's going to end up looking like. So if you have, if you do want to kind of see how that all breaks down, go check it out at WWL.com. But that's not really what we're going to be talking about today. Today, we're going to be talking about coaching and coaching shakeups, and they continue to happen. It's not a coincidence that the Saints hone in on, home in on Clint Kubiak, and now you're making decisions on a lot of these coaches, assistant coaches, whatever. Now, I was a bit surprised by the most recent one in that it's Ronald Curry, quarterback's coach. He's moving on, whatever you want to call it. You could. There's always this distinction between the parted ways versus fired versus whatever. At the end of the day, they said this: you're not going to coach here anymore. And that guy said, "Okay, bye." Right? Like that's that. At the end of the day, that's the, the whatever you want to call it, whatever process you want to take to get there. That's where you are. And the Saints, this the latest moves is reported: Ronald Curry out as quarterbacks coach, Kevin Carberry, who was the assistant offensive line coach under Doug Marone, who was also fired earlier this week, he will be the Bucks' offensive line coach, which, you know, it's it's interesting. You see teams kind of cannibalize coaching staffs within the division, and now the Bucks have their offensive line coach with a pretty in-depth knowledge of what the Saints have been doing and kind of the, the tendencies of their offensive linemen. Now the Saints are going to have a new offensive line coach at the end of the day, so some of that's going to change. It's going to be a new offense, so a lot of that's going to change. Some blocking schemes are probably going to change. But he does know those players. He knows exactly what Trevor Penning struggled with all year, right? He knows he knows what guys like to do, what they don't like to do. So I'm not a huge fan of that if I'm the Saints. But you know, you 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 kind of that's the the risk you run when you change systems, when you change schemes. Now Ronald Curry is interesting, and to me, when I'm surprised, say I'm surprised by it. I'm not surprised that he wanted to leave. I'm not surprised that Ronald wanted to do something else. I, the only surprise for me was that I thought that the Saints would probably want to just keep someone who had worked with Derek in the in the conversation so that the transition to the Clint Kubiak offense was smoother. Now, the reports are that they offered him the wide receiver coach job. He's done that previously. It wasn't completely out of left field. He came in as an offensive assistant, I want to say, in 2016. Then he spent two years as the wide receivers coach before shifting to quarterbacks coach. So it wasn't random. It wasn't like, ah, well, let's just find him a job. It was a pretty clear indication to me that the Saints have an idea of who they want to hire as their next quarterbacks coach. Clint Kubiak understands who he wants to hire as the next quarterbacks coach. And it wasn't Ronald Curry. They still wanted to keep Ronald around if they could, but that was a non-starter. And I don't blame I don't blame RC for for leaving. And, it, and this was kind of what I was saying. I've said so many times at this point, I'm like a broken record. The decision the Saints had to make this offseason was whether you want Ronald Curry to be your offensive coordinator or you want him to be the offensive coordinator for somebody else, anybody else, right? And now all the offensive coordinator jobs are currently taken. So that's not happening this season. But clearly, I, I'm not going to go so far as to say it was a it was like a a you know, slam the door on your way out, like burning bridges on your way out. Like that's, I don't think that's what happened. But when you get passed over for a promotion time after time, after time, after time, I understand I've been in that situation. I'm not in NFL coaching ranks, but I think a lot of people uh, can say they've been in a situation where it's like, you feel like you deserve a, a promotion. You're in, you're the internal candidate 
and you know everything that needs to happen. You've been in this process. You've been being quote unquote groomed for a position. And then, you know, the organization, the company, whatever, go says, uh, we're going to go with Mr. Outside Hire. Well, at the end of the day, they can dress that up in whatever way they want. They can say, oh, we really appreciate you. We think you're a great coach. We think you're whatever. We think you're integral to what we do. At the end of the day, the person in that situation is going to be like, it doesn't matter what you tell me. Your actions tell me all I need to know in terms of what my future is with this organization. And you can talk, he can say a lot. You can, you know, you can say how much the players liked Ronald Curry. Derek Carr liked working with Ronald Curry. At the end of the day, the Saints organization clearly didn't feel like he was he was the man for the job. Now, I think part of that, and I've said this as well, you know, it's the timing of it is very difficult. And I understand why the team wanted to go outside the organization and change some things up. I think RC just became a victim of the timing. And realistically speaking, and this was something I'm critical about because halfway through the season, I'm saying, hey, make Ronald Curry the play caller. Let's see what this offense looks like with Ronald Curry. And the reason you can't really hire Ronald Curry this offseason is because you needed to do it last offseason. Heck, two offseasons ago. If you wanted to maintain things while changing things up, to some extent, getting new blood, getting new ideas. It would have had to happen last offseason. This offseason, I think you that that ship has sailed because you know you need to make sweeping changes. And you were always going to do that somehow. And it just it, it became a very difficult scenario where and it's not even it's not even from a fan reaction perspective, but me personally, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, man, just in the sense of trying to explain to people and trying to tell people that their base reactions of like, I can't believe they're doing this are not reasonable. It's like, man, I just don't want to have those conversations. <laughs> but, and at the same time, they're not all unreasonable. Now, one thing that I, that I would have said is, hey, you don't know what RC would have brought to the offensive coordinator position. Just because he's been here previously doesn't mean he thinks all of the things you have done are good and would not change any of them and wouldn't have any new wrinkles to add to the situation. Like, you don't know that, but from a, optics perspective and from the perspective of, yes, I do want to modernize the system. It makes sense. Now, the Kevin Carberry leaving, I think that was just a product of, okay, you're, you're rebuilding pretty much the entire stuff. I'm not convinced that you're done firing people. Now, Clancy Barone, the tight ends coach, I do think is safe in that job. I think he's a very well-respected coach. I had one person saying, well, Jawan Johnson's performance this season is an indictment on the coaching. And you could say that, you could argue that, but I would also point to the injuries and a lot of the issues that he dealt with and the inconsistency from the quarterback position, the inconsistency at the tight end position. But I think what you saw late in the year was encouraging. And you also had a career pass catching year out of Taysom Hill, a guy I'm going to talk about later in this episode, a little bit more in depth in terms of the Shanahan of it all. So I, I, I understand it. I, I really do. But you know one one thing that I that I that I will gripe about is the messaging from the organization in terms of why you're doing what you're doing has done a complete 180, and I don't think it's ever been adequately explained. Um, you know they don't have to explain it, but you have now moved on from seven assistant coaches in back to back years, and I say it like that because some were fired. Some like Ryan Nielsen left to be the offense defensive coordinator for the Falcons. That's not a firing. That's a departure. Declan Doyle went to be Sean Payton's tight ends coach in Denver. 
that's not a firing, that's a departure, right? So not everyone you moved on from was a firing, but at the end of the day, that's 14 coaches over the last two seasons that you have moved on from in some capacity. This year, it's Doug Marone, offensive line coach, Cody Burns, wide receivers coach, Ronald Curry, quarterbacks coach, and Joel Thomas, running backs coach. Just four different position coaches. Not to mention Bob Bicknell, who's an offensive assistant. <laughs> Last year, it was, you know, Zach Streif left, right? You you had a bunch of, you know, Chris Richard, Ryan Nielsen, you know, and, and, and a handful of others. Corey Robertson was a assistant secondary coach, whatever. You know, th- there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot of changes. You can no longer look at this and say that the culture that was established is being carried forward by the people who were responsible for establishing it. Right. And you can say that there's been a lot of cracks in that culture over the last two seasons. And at some point, the mission goals for the front office changed from, hey, we have a culture and we have continuity and we're going to maintain it. And, and we're going to find a way. At some point, that shifted to get all of Sean's guys out the building. Right? And I don't know exactly when it happened. <laughs> but it's clear that it happened. I mean, go up and down this coaching staff and tell me who on it is linked to Sean Payton in any way beyond Dennis Allen. <laughs> and you will not find any. So, you know, I mean, you'll, you'll find a couple in terms of, you know, guys who are still, you know, Jari Evans, for example, is still in the assistant offensive line coach role. I'm interested if he stays there. Um, you know, and, and, I, and I also wonder how much of this is in the negotiation for hiring a new offensive coordinator? Because I do feel like the Saints went into this a little bit under leveraged in terms of having any negotiation negotiating power with Clint Kubiak. I think they wanted him real bad, and he knew that. And he said, I'm bringing in all my own guys, and it doesn't really matter what you guys think. Now, maybe the Clancy Barone is interesting. I don't know how much of that was a Dennis Allen uh, Mickey Loomis kind of choice versus Clint, but, but they have crossed paths. Like Clint has coached with Clancy in Denver previously. So there's some connection there, right? Like it's not like they're going to go into this blind. So who knows that could have also been a Clint thing, but one, one way or another Clint is rebuilding this staff and, and that's become clear. And I do, again, I think it's interesting that they tried to keep RC around but I also blame him 0% for being like, nah, I'm good. I'm going to go out to Buffalo, hang out with Josh Allen and and Joe Brady, another guy that has connections to the Saints, right? And uh, we're going to do our thing. I hope he's got a winter coat, is all I'm going to say, because uh, that's going to be a <laughs> that's going to be a shift from a uh, from a wardrobe dynamic and a weather dynamic. But I'm rooting for him. You know, I fully expect Ronald Curry to be an offensive coordinator in the NFL uh, over <laughs> at some point. You know, the the only reason that I, if I was trying to pitch Ronald Curry on staying, it would have been like, hey, you see how this coaching carousel works. And if you stick on the staff, you know, what if the odds Clint gets hired away from us next year and you're, and you're in there again? But he's like, you didn't hire me this time. You didn't hire me last time. You didn't hire me the time before that. I'm not playing that game. So uh, I'm rooting for him. I hope he, I hope he has some success out in Buffalo. I hope he, can uh, get to that offense coordinator job that I know he wants before long. Now, you know, that, that, and that opens the door. You know, I, I did, I think quarterbacks coach is an interesting one. And 
as you look as you look at it a little bit more closely, it does make sense that Clint would want his own guy because I think the quarterbacks coach has to be kind of a right hand man of the head coach of the offensive coordinator, right? Like I think you want them to be kind of an extension in terms of they know what you want and you know that they're going to lead things in the direction that you need them to lead it. And so the question becomes, okay, who does Clint bring in? I think that's going to be the first, the first domino you knock down. Um, or at least it should be, in my opinion. Now, you're not going to be able to do any of this until after the Super Bowl in terms of having Clint kind of come in and sit down with guys. But, you know, I do think that that's, that that's one you need to knock down. So who could that be? Now, there's two names that have been talked about a lot. And I think they've been talked a lot about, about a lot for a good reason. And I would not be surprised at all if you see any, either of these guys come in is Brian Greasy, who is working with Clint Kubiak out with the 49ers now. He's the quarterback's coach. And my only question with Brian, and I'm not entirely sure, and this is always kind of a gray area, is would coming from San Francisco to become the quarterback's coach passing game coordinator, which Ronald Curry was, be a a promotion? I don't know. It's a question that I don't have the answer to, <laughs> but that'll be a, that, that'll obviously be a big factor because if it's not considered a promotion then the 49ers could block it, they might not, right? Like not every team wants to do that. Most teams don't want to hold hostages, right? Joel Thomas wanted to go to the Giants to be the running backs coach there. It's a lateral move, but if blocking it is like, you know, it's like he wants to leave, let him leave. How, how, how productive will a guy be for you if you're holding him hostage, right? Like, I don't, I don't think that's a good scenario to be in. So if Brian Greasy does want to leave, there's a chance that even if it is a lateral move, technically the 49ers might not block it. And they've, they've turned over their system and their, and their staff pretty regularly. So they're, I think they're equipped to do that. So he's a guy that we'll see. The Saints interviewed him for the offensive coordinator job. They know him well. I don't know about the working relationship between Brian and, and, and Clint, but I imagine it's, it's decent considering the success they've had. Um, the other guy, and this is another guy who's been mentioned and he's worth mentioning, is Clay Kubiak, another another K name. He is Clint's younger brother. He is the assistant quarterbacks coach with the 49ers right now, and that would definitely be a promotion. So if this if they did want to try to poach Clay Kubiak, they they could, I believe. Um, so those are just two names, and there's gonna be a lot of names. I'm not gonna sit here and just start naming assistant coaches. There's guys that Clint has worked at worked with in Denver. There's guys that Clinton has worked with in Minnesota who could be on the docket. You're going to have plenty of time to figure this stuff out. Um, I don't think you necessarily need these assistants, these position coaches to be in the scouting of it all. Um, Maybe at the end of the day when before the draft, you might want these guys settled in so you can get their input on some guys. But I don't think that that's a huge, I don't think that you're rushing this process is what I'm trying to say. So I think this is going to play out over the course of several weeks after the Super Bowl on Sunday. But I think, you know, if you were wondering the question of just how much was going to change, just how much of this system was going to be fresh and new and coming from new faces and hearing from new voices, it's basically everybody. It's basically the entire room. And I don't know if that was the plan going into this offensive coaching search, this offensive coordinator search, but it's definitely the plan coming out of it because everyone is gone other than other than Clancy Barone. And that means that you have now in the last two seasons changed seven position coaches and both offensive and defensive coordinator continuity. It's not a thing anymore. And if this team has success and, and finds what they need, then it's going to look like a genius move and they'll have landed in the exact place they want. If it falls apart, then not only 
was the initial plan a mistake? Not only was the initial plan to try to maintain the Sean Payton scheme or culture or whatever, then it will have meant that you doubled down on that mistake with the same head coach. I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of pressure on this season. I really do. But all right, we're going to come back. We're going to talk a little more about Clint Kubiak. We got an interview with Evan Gettings, who's a 49ers insider. Going to give us his input, his insight into Clint and all that. And I want to talk about uh, the Ben Solak article a little bit about the Shanahan system, all that. Again, this is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. You can follow the show at Saints underscore pod. If you're watching this on YouTube, as you have to be right now while we're live, uh, make sure to ring the bell. We're, you know, we're creeping up toward 10K. I want to hit 10K before the draft. I think we have a chance. But if you're watching this and you're not subscribed, why not? Hit the hit the bell if you're listening to this as a podcast. Make sure to rate and review wherever you are. And, you know, as always, I appreciate everyone watching, everyone hanging out. We're going to have a mailbag in the final segment. So make sure to get your comments, questions, hot takes, whatever in the feed. And I'll get to as many as possible. I see a good number already in there. But all right, we'll be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're back on Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak coming at you solo today. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. You can follow the latest news, notes, and analysis at WWL.com. You can listen to Sports Talk every day, 4 to 8 p.m. on WWL AM 870 FM 105.3 and the Odyssey app. You can also find this podcast. It's there. It's a solid app. You should check it out. Um, but yeah. Oh, and also uh, Steve Geller and myself host on Friday. So if you're looking for this, just more of this. <laughs> more of this in your life, but with better microphones and 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 commercials. Uh, check it out. You know, we we take you know one of the things we like to do with that episode of Sports Talk is we'll 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 knock down some interviews with the goal of repurposing them on the podcast. So I don't know if if people have noticed that sometimes you hear the same things if you do listen to that show and you come back. I think that it's just an opportunity for us to kind of dive a little deeper into what we hear from people. Like we talked to Scott Shanley and we're getting information from him in the moment. Then we come back and we listen to it again and we talk about it. So I think it's a good way to kind of dip into that content pool, but you can also call in. If y'all want to chat, you can call in on Fridays. It's a 504-260-1870. I finally memorized the number, but anyway, we're going to get into an interview with Evan Gettings from sports talk. He's a 49ers reporter and producer, and uh, he's going to get into a lot of the Clint Kubiak conversation and what all he meant to that 49ers scheme this year, which, you know, it's if you needed to have a reason to feel good about it, you're looking at a team that had as successful of a year as anybody, despite having a four game losing streak, which is kind of remarkable when you when you look at it, you take a look at a team in the Super Bowl that one lost four consecutive games. And, you know, the Saints, you know, <laughs> they, I don't think they even had to stretch that that bad this season. I think the most they lost in a row was three. But regardless, you know, we're going to talk about it. And the one conversation that is probably worth having is 
We're talking about Clint Kubiak as if he's hired and he's not technically um, because you can't finalize it until after the Super Bowl. All that said, you know, I understand why people are a little are a little concerned or a little nervous about it because there's nothing really stopping Clint at this point from saying, you know what? I, it just doesn't fit. It's not for me. I changed my mind. All that said, a lot of the moves the saints are making seem very much geared around. This is what Clint wants. So we're going to do it. You know, there's no off. There's no other offensive coordinator position open to be taken. There's no offensive coordinator promotion on the 49ers. I don't think that Clint is going to be like, ah, the pass game specialist. That's where I want to be. So, you know, they could, I don't think this is, I think this is a very different situation. People who look at like a Gerard Johnson who decided to stay in Houston. It's a very different situation in my opinion, because he's a young coach. He's still learning. I think in a lot of cases, young coaches who who take a step back and they're like, you know, probably isn't the situation I want to be in. I maybe would benefit from another year under the offensive coordinator, at which point that guy's probably going to get hired and I can stick with a guy like CJ Stroud. That makes a lot of sense. I don't see Clint being in that situation. I just don't. I think it's a very different situation. So I, I don't think that there's really any concern to be had. But I do understand that if you're sitting there like, I'm not going to count my chickens, uh, you know, until until the chicken is here in my hands. Right. I, even when it hatches, I won't be I won't be convinced. But, you know, it is interesting. But I just the tone you hear people talking about it with. It is interesting because he's not actually hired, but we're all assuming he's going to get hired and for good reason. But. You know, we uh, without further ado, I'm going to get into that interview with with Evan Gettings, and we will play it right here. Evan Giddings from 95.7 The Game in San Francisco. And obviously, our audience here, the Houdat Nation, very curious to learn more about Clint Kubiak going to be becoming the offensive coordinator of the Saints after the Super Bowl. Uh, what can you say about the Niners' passing game coordinator, what he's done one year there in San Fran? Well, obviously, his, his impact has been felt in any quarterback that you're attached to, whether it's the quarterback's coach, the OC, the passing game coordinator like Kubiak is. Um, he's going to get a lot of credit for what Brock Purdy's been doing. And I think that it's a smart hire because right now, any association with Kyle Shanahan is typically a good one, especially in the offensive side of the ball. I mean, you look at the head coaching hires, but also the coordinators that have flown under the radar. And that's a room that on the offensive side of the football has got a lot of collective knowledge. Now, Clint, obviously, with his father being who he is, has you know that understanding of the game and professionalism. He's been around the block as well. Minnesota, he's worked under North Turner. He's worked with Kevin O'Connell. He's worked with some brilliant offensive minds. But you look at the head coaching experience in San Francisco along with the coordinators. You got Kyle Shanahan, who's been an OC. You got Anthony Lynn, who's also understood how you play off the pass with the run as being both the head coach and a run game coordinator back in Buffalo. So there's a lot of collective knowledge in that San Francisco room. And to me, just looking at kind of what the New Orleans Saints weren't able to do this year um, with their passing game, I think Kubiak's going to be able to help that, whether it's drive the ball down the field, whether it's also play off of the run with the pass. You know, I, I think this is someone that understands that, you know, yes, he's the passing game coordinator, but Kyle Shanahan's offense and really the Mike McDaniel, the Matt LaFleur, um, the Sean McVay's, Everything does start with the run, an area that the Saints, to my knowledge, were, were a little poor in this season. No, they season. were terrible. So, they, they, they were, yeah. so, you know whatever? We, we gave up. you got to flip the script. We gave up four and a half yards a run, and we averaged 3.4. Yeah. got to do just there you go. You know, give up uh, 3.4 and average four and a half. Yeah, you're right on. 
Yeah, yeah. So I, I think even though Kubiak does come from a passing kind of background, he understands the importance of establishing the run, and that'll take pressure off of his quarterback. We're talking about Brock Purdy and Patrick Mahomes. you got to take pressure off him with the run. So I think he's going to be able to enforce that as well. And uh, you know what uh, I like also, Evan? Uh, you know, you got all these young minds, whether they're 35, 36, or mid-30s, whatever. And you might say, oh, they're the quarterback coach or they're in charge of the pass game coordinator. You know what I wanted with the Saints? And this is why I was on board with this. And I think uh, most of the who that nation is because he's not a virgin. What are you talking about, not a virgin? No, he has called plays in an actual NFL game with uh, with Kirk Cousins and the Vikings. Yep. Uh, so that's what I look at. Okay, because uh, I can tell you this, uh, Pete Carmichael, uh, now, uh, he's called plays before, but you if you counted upon the call plays, there's an art to that. Uh, you can set up, and like that's why Sean Payton brought Pete Carmichael to Denver, because to help set up a game plan. Okay, what are we going to do in the red zone? You know, that little bird in your ear, or whether, okay, what a third down, give me some suggestions. But to actually call plays, that's a craft. There's an art. And I think Clint Kubiak, now he wishes he maybe has more experience, but he's done it before. And being around Shanahan and all, I think he understands how you set up one play or maybe looking into the future, four or five plays down the road, what you're trying to set up. Now, it's not 100% because we're all human, but that's what I like. Clint Kubiak has called plays before in the National Football League. That That's one thing that I, I'm trying to tell the Saints fan base that I'm encouraged by. It. No, you're, you're absolutely right. You, you can't replicate repetitions and live in-game bullets. Those are things, and I'm sure you know that better than, than most. You, you, you can't simulate what a game is going to throw at you, especially if you're an offensive play caller. So the fact that he's got that under his belt, in addition to also understanding and seeing how Shanahan approaches that in-game and being a big yes. part of it as well, that is huge. And, and so I'm really excited to see what he's going to do with the Saints offense that, you know, from a passing perspective, has a lot of weapons. I think that the running back is, is still um, a solid position. But how is he able to extract the best out of a unit that I think can absolutely help them challenge and should honestly challenge for that division? But yeah, so that, that was Evan Giddings. If you want the rest of that interview, go check out WWL.com. And, you know, I think the, the part of that conversation that really hits home and I think is accurate, you know, it's funny because you're talking about Clint Kubiak. He was the pass game specialist for the 49ers. The biggest impact I think that you want to see from Clint in this new role is in the run game. <laughs> like I think that's that's what really just did not work. It never worked throughout the entire 2023 season. It was, you know, you're trying to get creative, you're trying to do things, but the just the just kind of standard run game was ineffective. You can say it was the blocking, you can say, but I think a lot of it was scheme. I think a lot of it was, you're not doing things that play to the strengths of your players. Like I don't want to bang Alvin Kamara's head inside 20 times a game, right? You're talking about all these inside zone runs. And that kind of leads into, it's a segue into um, Ben Solak. who was a, he was a writer for the ringer, put together a really, a really expansive look at the Shanahan offense and what does that even mean and it's funny because you look at it and you say okay there's a lot of motion there's a lot of play action you're you're running a lot of wide zone and while a lot that is true the play action rate actually dropped this year and it's one of their more successful years on offense you're looking at Brock Purdy you're looking at what does he do well and I think the point that he brings up that is accurate is the Kyle Shanahan scheme is not 
just, okay, a lot of wide zone runs, a lot of play action off that, a lot of bootlegs. It's, it's making the defense wrong first. And second, it is creating an offense and creating a scheme that accentuates the strengths of your players. And I think you saw that with Christian McCaffrey these last two seasons and, and how you've used him. And it's, it's about creative motion. It's about doing things that the defense does not expect or is not ready for. And, and that's the core principle of the offense. That's why it's so difficult to kind of look at and say, well, this is what it is because so much of it is the understanding to do things at certain points. And what Bobby's talking about calling plays is an art form to it. You have to set up plays. You have to, you have to set up situations and you have to, you have to cash in on those situations. And there were points this year that I thought Pete did that. There are points this year that I thought Pete did that. Well, right. The, the saints ran a lot of shot plays early in the year that worked and they worked in part because of this, this setup prior to that throughout the season. I don't think, I don't think that happened as often as it needed to. And, you know, I've talked about this a lot. I go back to Taysom Hill and the bland nature of Taysom Hill's role to really kind of drive home how little creativity was going in this offense. And, you know, I, I, I tweeted that one of the reasons I think Clint makes sense for Taysom and to use Taysom is because of Debo Samuel. And, you know, as I, as I look deeper into that, I almost think there's a better comparison in terms of what you can look at in that 49ers offense and say, this is something that Taysom could do. This is a role that Taysom could fill. And it's not actually Debo Samuel. When you look at the kind of the, the grand scheme of how he's used and, at the end of the day, he's mostly a wide receiver. He's a wide receiver who can shift into a running back role and, and succeed there. But you're not going to be splitting Taysom Hill out wide. He operated more as a tight end and H-back this year. Even with his increased role as a pass catcher, it was not really as, as a wide receiver, right? He was split into the slot. He was coming off in line, and he lined up in the backfield a good bit. What you didn't do was line him up in the backfield in situations where you could take advantage of what the defense was doing. And how do you do that? Well, you know, one thing that the 49ers do, and it's something that, you know, Sean Payne's not here anymore, but he would be smiling to to know this is, you know, Kyle Juszczyk, 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 I don't, I don't know. I always forget how to say his name. The fullback. He's on the field all the time in a league where the fullback doesn't really get used. Right. And one of the reasons you can use Kyle Juszczyk in that way is that he is a very versatile player. He can line up and go catch a pass. Right. He can motion out into the slot. He can be that lead blocker or he can carry the ball. Like he's not just the smash mouth option that you put on the field because you can motion him out wide and you can do things with him. And when you look at kind of how he was deployed and how I think the Saints want to deploy Taysom Hill. I think that that's the role, you know, not necessarily putting Taysom in as the lead blocker and asking your 34 year old quarterback to bang his head into the line 12 times a game as a lead blocker, but he can be the lead blocker. And it's something you saw him do earlier in his career. You don't see that as much anymore, but I think, you know, you look at the, the snap counts of these guys and you take away the special team snaps for both guys, and they're both about the same. Kyle Juszczyk had, I think, 40 more offensive snaps this season than Taysom Hill did, and they came in roughly the same areas. Now, Taysom has a lot more QB snaps, but I think that there is a scenario where you can kind of look at those pages of the playbook and insert Taysom Hill in a role where he's in the backfield with Derek Carr, and you can come up with plans and triggers for, hey, if they're showing this look, 
we audible, we, we check into a Taysom Hill run and we do that. Right. And it's, and the fact that that part of the offense ceased to exist in the last two years with Taysom Hill again, and I, like I said, I'm a broken record, but like, that's the, those are the things that I think you can come in and you can come up with a, a plan for how to do that with the motion and all the creativity in the wide zone. And you know, I, I think that that's, that's where I look at is Kyle Juszczyk and, and that whole system that they ran with him in the and the 49ers. And obviously, we'll be having a lot more conversations about this. You know, the 49ers are playing on Sunday. There's a chance that Clint shows up with a Super Bowl ring and we get to talk about that. But we're going to have a whole lot of time to kind of dive into what he means for the offense, what his offense is going to look like. You know, it's funny. We're all kind of assuming you know, it's, I have this picture up to my left. He's in a Viking sweatshirt. And we always we talk about Clint and we, and we never even consider, hey, maybe there's stuff from the 49ers days that, that he can incorporate. It's all he spent a year with Kyle Shanahan. And, and then that's what we're going to look at. So who knows? We don't know how much of that Shanahan system seeped in, how much of it is what he's going to go with. But I just think the ability to kind of mix and match and find what things that work for your playmakers at the end of the day is going to be what decides whether this is a success or a failure. And the unfortunate situation for Clint is going to be that he's going to have, we're going to have to make that determination after year one. Um, and, <laughs> or at least we're going to make that determination after year one, at least from a, from an outsider's perspective, from a fan's perspective, He's there's going to be no there's going to be no runway. And I am interested to see how much runway there is within the organization, because I don't think you're bringing in this guy. I don't think you're selling this guy and and saying, yeah, the head coach is in is on thin ice. But don't worry about it. You'll be fine. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know. So I, I think that you probably are making commitments to him in some way. Um, and some of that could be in the form of, OK, yeah, we'll move on from basically every offensive coach we have. And we'll change seven, seven coaches for the second time in two years. Uh, and, you know, how that, how that works out, we'll have to see. But all right, this is Inside Black and Gold. I am Jeff Nowak. Again, thanks to Evan Gettings for coming on. If you want the rest of that interview, go check it out on WWL.com. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Ring the bell if you're watching this on YouTube. Want to get to 10K subscribers before before the draft. You know, I think we can do it. I think we can do it, guys. Let's figure it out. But all right, we'll be right back. We're going to do a mailbag. Again, this is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. We will be right back. Inside Black and Gold. One more segment on this episode, and it's going to be a live mailbag. Got a couple comments and questions starred already. We're going to be throwing them up here and talking about them. I'm on schedule. I'm, I'm pretty close to being on schedule here for the first time. This might be one of our one of the first sub ninety minute podcasts. Uh, and I don't know if anyone cares how long the podcast is, but the funny thing is the goal going in is three 15-minute segments. And almost always we go double that and we end up with these hour and a half long podcasts, which I don't know. I don't know if anyone, if it, I don't think it's too much content. I think everyone's just sitting in their car listening or whatever. But if uh, if you have any comments, feedback, whatever, you can also hit me up on Twitter. Let me know. DMs are open. It's at Jeff underscore Nowak. 
and we'll be getting into it. But first question here, Bearded Dragon says, will Kubiak have a voice in who replaces Curry and the offensive staff? And 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 the simple answer to that question is yes. So, of, of course, he will. I don't think, you know, it, it's an d- interesting dynamic when you're talking about defensive head coach, offensive coordinator. And it's similar to back when Sean was here and you had Dennis Allen and you were hiring defensive coaches and he was always going to be in that in that discussion. One thing that's interesting, we played the uh, clip of Derek Carr on the 2Gs in a Pod podcast last episode. And one of the questions he was asked that we didn't really get into was whether, you know, his kind of role in the offensive coordinator search. And, you know, Mickey had an interesting comment uh, in his post, in his end of season presser. He said, well, we don't ask players to make staffing decisions or make determinations. But Derek did say that there were a lot of conversations that he had primarily with Dennis Allen uh, on, you know, what, what he thought and how he wanted to see that situation develop. So, you know, I, I do think that Derek's input was a part of what led them to Clint Kubiak in the first place. This isn't really answering your question, but I think it's an interesting dynamic. Now, secondarily, yes, of course, Clint is going to have a big say in the running backs coach, wide receivers coach, quarterbacks coach, offensive line coach, and whatever positions down the line. You know, a guy like DJ Williams, do you potentially promote him? You know, I think it's interesting. You haven't moved on from any of these assistants yet. Jari Evans, right? Like I know that Dennis Allen, I know the organization really loves Jari Evans and I think they should want to keep him around. And I think that's where the question becomes how much autonomy did you promise Clint in taking the role? Did you promise him full autonomy? Did you promise him, Hey, if you want a guy, we are going to hire him. No questions asked. I doubt that's the case. So I think that there is going to be a process. And one of the reasons this is going to take a little bit longer than people probably want is you're not going to start that process really until Clint is in the building and able to sit in on these conversations and these interviews and whatever. That doesn't stop you from getting a short list. I'm sure what's going to happen now in the process now, you're going to get a short list of guys from Clint and the organization is going to come up with some names and you're going to kind of meld those together, talk through them, interview some people for each candidate, for each position and you're going to move on from there. But it's at the end of the day, it's got to be someone Clint trusts and someone Clint who understands the offense that he is trying to bring in. Because you're not – I don't think this organization – and, and one, of the, one of the critiques of Dennis Allen, one of the things that Dennis, I think, has struggled with at points in his head coaching career is being a micromanager. And I think that's universally a bad thing for – a head coach in in any role, whether you're an offensive head coach, whether you're a special teams head coach, whether you're whatever, micromanaging and not allowing the people you've empowered to do their jobs to do their jobs um, is just a bad thing. And it's, and it's, you know, you don't need that. You don't have to have that to be successful, but you do have to have a healthy ecosystem of coaches. And, and the funny thing, you're looking at it now and you're saying, okay, you have now removed all signs that Sean Payton was ever here other than Dennis Allen, really. Um, And you do that because you want to get his guys in there. But I would argue that if that was the plan from the beginning, I would have hired anybody else. I would have hired somebody else because I don't, I don't need to go with the Dennis Allen system to change things. I don't, you know, if the idea was we don't want to lose Dennis Allen as the defensive coordinator, that's not a good reason to make him a head coach. Anyway, it's, it all goes back to this idea that, you know, we started with this with this plan, 
and that was what was sold was this plan of continuity and whatever and we have now in 2024 year three arrived at a completely different approach and it's not because things went well it's because things failed so it's you doubled down on this twice now and uh, you know I, i guess it's at the end of the day it's not you know, I, I, one of the reasons I was okay with them sticking with Dennis Allen is because this was kind of the plan, right? Like you never, you don't hire a head coach and say, okay, you only have two years and then we're going to, you know, unless things are, unless you're, you're blowing people out every week in, week out, we're firing you. Now there's always a plan and there's a baseline of the the results you're willing to accept to stay with that plan. And I think at whatever you want to say about it, seven and 10 and nine and eight is above that baseline. Now cracks started to show and, and that's where, you know, these coaching hires are important. You got to get them right because you hired Cody Burns. Like one of the, the firings, you know, we could talk about the Sean Payton of it all and not, and trying to get away from the Sean Payton influence to some extent, not necessarily get away from it, but not rely so heavily on it. Cody Burns was a guy that DA brought in. Cody Burns was a guy that was hired last year. Bob Bicknell was a guy who was hired last year. So these Doug Marone, was a guy who was hired last year. So these these firings are not universally guys who were here prior to DA. Oh, several of these firings are guys that he brought in. So what does that tell you? And as I don't know, I, I hope, I hope that the majority of these decisions are being made with as little interference as possible from the head coach position. Because I just don't think that there's a track record of success there in, in terms of how you've built out this staff in the first place. So, you know, that's a long roundabout way to get to that. But uh, yes, I think Clint Kubiak is going to be the voice in who replaces, um, replaces those guys. Yellow knows here says can't be mad at all. And also says all the positions that performed subpar on the offensive side in terms of, the firings and yeah, yeah, you know, I, I think the offensive line is an interesting one because I do think scheme had a lot to do with it and a lack of development to me was the bigger issue than the, the, a subpar performance, right? Like I can't endorse a coach who has failed to draw any year over year improvement from your first round pick. You can't. And you decide that and you go and you find someone who can, who can build out that plan. But, you know, I don't think the wide receivers underperformed. I think that room just came apart at the seams to an extent. And a lot of that was Michael Thomas. Right. And I think Cody kind of lost control of that room and it became a distraction, you know, and, and as you kind of pull things together late in the year, I think you saw some really good performances, but I don't think that that firing was about performance. Right. Now the running backs coach, We'll never know whether they would have fired Joel Thomas, but it's. I think you you allow a guy to leave for a lateral position. He sees the writing on the wall. He moves on. So yeah, I think that that has something to do with performance. And then you have, well, you have the tight ends coach. He's probably sticking around, and that was a position that you could argue underperformed to some extent. I think it's a lot about injuries and whatnot. So you know, and, and then obviously the quarterbacks coach. And I don't think that's necessarily about the player underperforming i think it's about you want to bring somebody in and and kind of move forward as you can there and and again you tried to give ronald curry the wide receivers coach job so clearly it wasn't something to do with like man this guy's not getting the job done but yeah i mean i don't i think it was just inconsistency in both 
the performance, the execution, and the plan, and how you were doing things. And it and it's just felt so often throughout the year, from a game plan perspective, you were just trying whatever you could. You know, I don't feel like there was ever really a developed plan. I don't think you were ever catching anyone off guard with your schemes. I don't think you were ever doing anything that was that was difficult to defend. Late in the year, you were you were executing at a higher level, but I still don't think that this was a scheme that anyone will like hang in the Louvre and be like, ah, oh, this was the this was it. This is what I needed. So we'll see. Rainey says the offensive line coach for the Bucks. I wanted for our team. So Kevin Carberry, that's you know I I expected the uh, the Bucks to look at the Saints staff. I did, and I expected Ronald Curry to be the guy that they really took a long look at. Instead, it was Kevin Carberry, and you know I think the the way the Saints have set things up over the last several years is you know Doug Marone works with the veteran players, and the assistant offensive line coaches work with the younger players. Jari Evans obviously is an interior line guy, so I'm sure he spent more time with the young interior linemen, and Kevin Carberry most likely with the tackles. And so, you know, I'm I'm okay with him leaving. I think you were probably going to move on from Kevin too. Um, well, we don't know because it's not a, it's a promotion as we've talked about. So the saints couldn't have blocked it even if, even if they wanted to, but you know, it, it's at the end of the day, that's, that's where we're at with it. it <laughs> there's the, 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 the NFC South now, and you look at the coaching ranks and the coaching, <laughs> coaching divisions and, you know, Raheem Morris, Zach Robinson, that, that system is going to change. You know, uh, you know, with the Bucks, you have you have a new offensive coordinator. With the Panthers, you have Dave Canales, and and that system's going to change. There's going to be a lot of moving parts in the NFC South, and there's going to be a lot of a lot of questions. You know, one thing that I that I find interesting, and this isn't really the question, but you know, you look at Todd Bowles and Dennis Allen, and everyone talks about Todd Bowles as if he's a success in what he's done. And everyone talks in, about Dennis Allen as if he's a failure in what he has done. And the interesting thing to me is how close they are and how similar they are in terms of what have what has been accomplished, right? Both guys, you know, showed up in the late two, 2017. I think Dennis Allen was like 2016. Todd Bowles took over as the defensive coordinator in 2020. 2019, I, I can't recall exactly, but you know, these are both guys who had a head coaching stint prior to this and failed in that head coaching stint. Todd Bowles was with the Jets. Dennis Allen was with the Raiders. Todd Bowles had a slightly better record, but there was still a bad record, right? I think what's what helped Todd Bowles in the overall record is that his first year as a head coach with the Jets, they won 10 games and went to the playoffs. And then he fell off a cliff each of the next three seasons and ended up essentially where Dennis Allen was Dennis Allen just never had that one successful season that got him an extra year. And I've talked about this before. A lot of this is three-year cycles when you're talking about head coaches. Like if you're looking at a guy who got fired, look at what's happened in the last three years. Has it gotten worse? Has the record gotten worse or or have things become stale? And that's the point where you fire a guy. You never, most, you know, there's very few examples in NFL history of guys getting fired, improving year over year. Now, if you improve from one win to five wins, that's not exactly a huge improvement. So you could make that justification. I think Joe Judge is an example of a guy who maybe improved year over year and got fired, but he still ended up with five wins that final season. But you look at look at Todd Bowles. So both of these guys showed up 
after failing as a head coach, as a defensive coordinator, was a was an NFC South defensive coordinator. Both guys had one deep postseason run. Dennis Allen's team was 2018. They went to the NFC Championship. Obviously, they didn't get to the Super Bowl, but you feel like they should have gotten to the Super Bowl if you know there wasn't the worst missed call in history. So, I'm holding that up similarly to the Bucks in 2020. They got to the Super Bowl, and that was kind of the one deep run. They made the playoffs every year, basically, but it was generally speaking not a success story. Then the Saints got to the divisional round of the playoffs in 2020. They made it to the playoffs in 2019. They made it to the divisional round in 2017 as well. You can compare that to what the Bucs have done. Now, you look at it, both defensive coordinators, uh, you know, you have these Hall of Fame first ballot all-time great quarterbacks on their last legs. Sean Payton quits. Dennis Allen takes over. Brian Polian, whatever you want to call it, got trans. Uh, not Brian Polian. I'm sorry, Bruce Arians got transitioned into a front office role, and Todd Bowles takes over. Now, the only real difference here is that Todd Bowles has two division titles. They have gone 18 and 17 and 17 over those two seasons. The Saints have gone 16 and 18 over those two seasons. Like we talk about Todd Bowles again, we talk about Todd Bowles as if it's this great success story. They went eight and nine with Tom Brady. You're telling me that if Dennis Allen had Drew Brees in his first year, the Saints are going seven and ten? No, Drew Brees is carrying that team, kicking and screaming to to, to the playoffs in some way. Whether it's nine and eight, ten and seven, they're getting there. But we look at that one season, we ignore like, oh, the Bucks had a losing record and won the division with Tom Brady. Is that really a success story? This year they go out and go nine and eight, win the division again, <laughs> and and it's like, oh man, they they won obviously a playoff game against the Eagles, probably the best example of a team quitting on its head coach despite a successful season that you'll see. And, and Nick Sirianni still kept that job, so it's interesting. But I just think like Dennis Allen and Todd Bowles are the same person in so many ways. I think that Todd Bowles is probably a little more charismatic. That helps. But then, you know, you look at you look at Raheem Morris, right? You look at a guy, he obviously arrived in Atlanta in a different way, but he's another guy who failed in his first stint as a head coach. And that was with the Bucs. It was a while ago. It was it was bef- long before Dennis Allen was head coach of the Raiders. Um, so you have currently three de- defense-first head coaches in the NFC South. Obviously, Raheem Morris has experience on both sides of the ball, but he's still a defense-first head coach. Uh, you know, in terms of he's coming from a defensive coordinator job. So you have three defense first head coaches and three guys in their second head coaching stint who failed miserably uh, in their first uh, in their first spot stop. So I don't know. I, I think it's 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 funny to look around the NFC South and see all of these, you know, second chances <laughs> playing out in real time and how one different one win, one game is the difference between what Todd Bowles has done and what Dennis Allen has done. And that game is the one the Saints led 16 to nothing with like, what, four minutes left to play and lost. Um, If the Saints don't blow that lead, then both guys are 17 and 17 over two seasons and have split the NFC South. And we're still having the same conversation about uh, Dennis Allen, but I'm not sure we're having the same conversation about Todd Bowles. So... I don't know. Do with that information what you will. But I do think that, you know, this is going to be I don't, maybe not a deciding season for Dennis Allen in the sense that if it goes a certain way, 
you stick with him and still don't feel like, okay, well, he's done everything I need to see. But like, for example, you win 10 games, you win the, you win the NFC South, you lose in the first round. You're still going to be like, yeah, are we doing this again? And we'll probably be going to be having the same conversation at that point. So we will see, but all right, I'm going to wrap up this episode of inside black and gold. Thanks for everyone who hung out, everyone who dropped in a comment. I'm Jeff Nowak. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. You can follow the show at saints underscore pod. And you can check out all the latest news, notes, and analysis at WWL.com. If you're looking for more of this, Steve Geller and myself will be hosting Sports Talk. I think it's 4 to 6 p.m. on Friday. It's a short show. But if you want to call in, have your say, uh, make sure to do that. 504-260-1870. Yeah, we use old school telephone numbers in uh, in this business. But all right. This is Inside Black and Gold. Thanks, everyone, who listened. Who dat? Go Saints. 